Welcome to the Falcon Around Podcast. I'm Carl Falk, and if you know who I am, you know that I'm on podcast because I'm no longer on the radio. Well, let's start there. It's been a couple months since I was displaced by High Heart Radio. High Heart decided they were going to lay off a thousand people or close to that nationwide. I was one of the unlucky few. Little surprising, little strange way to start my morning that day, being told, uh, hey, you're good, don't come in like ever. But hey, you know, it's one of those things that big businesses have to make decisions that are in the best interest of them. I was not in their best interest. A lot of people have it a lot worse than me. I've tried to be very pragmatic through this whole thing and, you know, look at other people and be thankful that I'm still going forward and hopefully they will as well. But I want to start by a lot of you who are listening are listening because you've listened to me on the radio. And you've heard me talk, and I was part of your world for a couple of years, and a lot of you reached out to me. And I got to tell you, that's one of those things that when you go through something like that, you really appreciate all the interactions you have with the people who listen. And, you know, strange time for me because I had never in my life been fired, laid off, whatever the case may be. And for all you who reached out, thank you. You'll never know how much that meant to me at that time. It was a really important thing for you all to do. And I didn't know it was important at the time, but it was. And it was great to hear that all of you wanted me to do something like this. So that's why I'm here. That's why I want to do this. I want to reconnect with you all and give you my opinions. You know I have them. If you listened to me before, you know I'm going to have some things to say. So the Falcon Around podcast, well, here it is, episode one. Let's get right into it. The biggest sports story, I think, not only right now, but in recent years, is what's going on with the coronavirus. And this is the tip of the iceberg, I think. Listen to some things that are being said and done about the coronavirus. concern is indoor events where there are spectators. Uh, And so the recommendation is that for indoor events uh, where there are spectators, that there be no spectators. After a great deal of discussion and collaboration with state agencies and our membership, the CIAC has made the difficult decision to cancel our remaining winter tournaments. Into Sports Center and a rare joint statement, the four active professional sports leagues, the NBA, MLB, NHL, and MLS, have all just announced together that they're going to shut down locker rooms to the media starting tomorrow, all in an effort to prevent the spread of coronavirus. This goes into effect for practice and games. Media access will be maintained in designated locations outside the locker room and clubhouse settings. So that's some... Really smart people making decisions. Look, there's some hysteria attached to this. I do believe that the media is running rampant with this. Let's face it, the world we live in, it's about clicks. Doing this, hoping to get clicks, hoping to get people to watch, people to listen. That's the media's job. They've got a big story and they've got people who are afraid. The hell, people are buying toilet paper like there's never going to be toilet paper ever made again here locally in Rochester. I was in BJ's the other day. Dudes are like loading up. Are you going to eat at Nick's for the entire time of your quarantine? How does anyone need that much toilet paper? Whatever. 
that's the least of the problems. The most of the problems are, in sports anyway, some of the cancellations. The Indian Wells Tennis Tournament, huge tennis tournament out west, was canceled. The the Ivy League Basketball Tournament. Now, this is a big deal because all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, hey, you, you available to the tournament? Yeah, you're going. Everyone else, your season's over. Don't worry about it. The schools are going to start doing online classes from here on out which I think is a really dangerous precedent to the college life as we know it. If you don't have to go to that college and live, that would save mom and dad about $15,000 a year. So I think that's going to be something maybe that's more of a thing. Back to sports, though. The San Jose Sharks, the county that San Jose plays in, has made an edict that if there's a gathering over 1,000 people, can't take place. Sharks aren't home till next week. It'll be interesting to see how that moves forward. The Big West Tournament and the Mid-American Conference Tournament, both will be played without fans. And I think this is something we're going to see more and more of as this thing goes further. Look, I, I don't know how long this is going to go on, and I don't know how serious of an event ultimately this is going to be. Is this going to be something where six months from now we're still talking about coronavirus? Or is it going to be something like Y2K that once we get through it and we kind of see it and get control of it, it's going to be, well, it really wasn't that bad. Smart people are trying to figure that out now. Our governments are taking precautions. Sports leagues are taking precautions. But the one thing I don't understand is the last part, the locker room access part. So we're okay with NBA games being played in front of like 20,000 people, hockey, 20,000 people, you know, baseball, everyone. But the 12 or 15 media members going into the locker room after games, that's where we're going to stop this thing. I, I think there's so many overreactions. And I think with March Madness on the horizon, the beginning of Major League Baseball season on the horizon, one event that I'm... Very curious to see the Masters Golf Tournament, one of the biggest events annually. Think about the patrons not being there. <laughs> yeah, the gallery, the fans, but you better call them the patrons when it's the Masters because it's the Masters. How is that going to play? How is that going to be something that works through? Again, who knows how long this thing goes and who knows where it goes from here. I think as of now, there are like 30 confirmed cases of people being killed by coronavirus. Many of them were infirmed already, elderly, other health issues. There are people at risk, and this is a serious, serious problem. I just think the hysteria is going to be something that we look back on and go, why did we all buy 10 cases of toilet paper? I still will never understand that. Even if it gets bad and we're quarantined in our house, how many rolls of toilet paper do you go through in a week? I don't think there's that many. So the coronavirus, it is a real thing. It is a very serious thing. And every day there are going to be more and more cancellations. We'll see what happens next. I, for one, hope this is something we're looking back on in a few months and going, yeah, we, we really overreacted to that one. The flu is very dangerous, but be diligent. Elbow mump, you know, can't even do handshake lines after games. Crazy. But Corona, Corona won US zero at this point. Gonna shift gears now, talk a little Syracuse University basketball. We are into March Madness, and we're 
recording this on Wednesday morning, March 11th. Tonight, the Orange play the University of North Carolina in the ACC tournament. This has been a year that many people have questioned the direction of the program. We're not used to sub-20 win seasons around here. When we talk about SU, Jim Beheim, 44 years, he's never had a losing season. He won't have one this year either. The Orange's record is 17-14. and 14. And early on, before the season began, on radio, I thought that the Orange would be about an 18-win team. They looked like a team that was going to be okay in a bad year for the ACC. And I think that's a big part of the story. But if you start to break down this season, there was an opportunity this year for this team to be an NCAA tournament team. The Orange had seven losses that could have changed their season. Some of them early on, Oklahoma State and Penn State in Madison Square Garden, were simply losses because the team wasn't ready. Joe Girard wasn't part of the team yet in a big way. He wasn't the guy running out there starting at guard. He was a role player behind Jalen Carey at that time. Jalen Carey, of course, then was redshirted. It just was a different team early in the season than it is now. The Georgetown lost. Georgetown's 15-16. and 16. They're below 500. Patrick Ewing has lost four players. And couple of those just before that Syracuse game. SU couldn't afford to have lost that game, yet they did. And Georgetown shot the lights out. Go to the home losses. There are four of them that could have changed the orange season. They were ripped at home by Iowa. Iowa's a decent team, but they're not a team that should come into the Carrier Dome and spank the orange the way they did. Notre Dame and Virginia Tech early in the ACC season beating the orange at home. That shouldn't happen. Clemson a one-point loss at home. And there's two other losses. You know, talk about these seven. Two more that everything could have changed. Elijah Hughes, or the Orange's best player by a wide margin, and a kid who, I'm breaking news, he's going pro. Don't expect Elijah to be back next year. He's going to be a pro. He's going to be a second-round draft pick. And he's going to make a roster and make a whole lot of money and have a great life. And don't hate on Elijah Hughes for doing that. Nothing annoys me more than when we decide the best way for a 21-year-old kid to make a half a million or a million dollars. Oh, yeah. No, he's another year. No, another year is good for you, the fan. Going pro is great for him and his family. So go pro now, Elijah. But there were two losses. He played three minutes in a loss to North Carolina State at the Dome. Three minutes. He had an injury, a groin injury, wasn't able to go. The Orange lost that game by four. Elijah Hughes plays, they win that game. There is no doubt in my mind they win that game. Last Saturday, they closed out their season down in Miami. They had the Canes right where they wanted them. And in the second half, Elijah Hughes, nobody knows why. We all assume it was a head injury that... Potential concussion, you got to be careful with those things. Did not play. The Orange lost in overtime in that game to Miami, and not a good team at all. There are nine games there. Give the Orange, instead of nine losses, five wins. All of a sudden, we're looking at a team that's a 22-win team and a tournament team. This team is not that far from being a tournament team, as much as many of you out there 
are freaking out and looking at this team going, this is the worst Syracuse team I ever remember. It didn't perform early, and it caught up to them late. Let's not overreact. Jim Beheim's recruiting has slipped. There's no doubt in that. A guy by the name of Isaiah Stewart, we all know him here in Rochester, he's one of our own, is doing great things at the University of Washington. Now, Mike Hopkins' team, he recruited the hell out of things last year and got Isaiah Stewart, a couple other really good players. They're not having a good year either. They're not going to the dance either. So all of you who say Mike Hopkins was the answer, he may be, but Mike Hopkins can recruit. I'm not sure he's ever going to be the coach that he needs to be to win consistently. The recruiting, though, has got to get better. I watched the other night the six-overtime game between UConn and Syracuse. And the next two years later, the two teams played in the Big East tournament again. Oh, sidebar, still miss the Big East. I know it's an ACC league that can be the best league in basketball, but the old Big East days, there was nothing like it. Syracuse had rivals. They don't now, and I think that hurts in recruiting as well. But go back to those teams. The bench for Syracuse at the time. Deion Waiters, not in the six-overtime year, 2011, a couple years later. Deion Waiters came off the bench. Deion Waiters, Josh Pace, Fab Mello, they had blue-chip prospects on the bench. This year, seven people played, maybe eight, and Jesse Edwards was that eighth. And while I like Jesse Edwards long-term, nobody's ever referring to him as a blue-chip prospect. But I do think that next year is going to be a better year for the Orange. Look, they could potentially have 11 people back. 11. That doesn't happen at a big-time program. And I still believe Syracuse is a big-time program. When you look at Buddy Beheim, I, I hear a lot of, well, he's a coach's kid, that's why he plays. This is a kid who, in his second year, wasn't supposed to start last year, he did, 15.3 points per game and shot 38% from three. Not many people in the country put up those numbers. He's also added a mid-range game. He's going to get better. Joe Girard III is from Glens Falls. I heard that all year. I hope that's done. Uh, this guy's from a small school. He, he can't play at Syracuse. Uh, recruiting, no. It doesn't matter where you play high school ball. If you can play in the summer circuit with the biggest and best players in the country, you can play. Joe Girard did that. He played in the EYBL and played with a team that had Isaiah Stewart. He was the second-leading scorer on that team. So Joe Girard can play. As a freshman, he's averaging almost 13 points a game. Is that great? Hell no. Biggest disappointment with Joe Girard to me is that he didn't knock down more threes. I thought he'd knock down more. But 32.5% is right about the minimum you want to shoot from three. I do think next year he's going to be a 38% three-point shooter. More importantly, thrust into a point guard role, a role he's never played before. 3.4 assists, 1.9 turnovers. One and a half assists to turnovers a game ratio. It's not great. You'd much rather be three to one. But a kid in the ACC who's never played the position before on a team that's offensively challenged will take it. Marek Dolajai is an all-around player. He'll be back. Barama Sidibe showed some things. Like a pulse. They, they actually checked. He has a pulse uh, towards the end of the season. If he continues to improve, and there's a long way to go, he's going to be one of a three-headed monster 
at center next year. Jesse Edwards and John Bolajac, a young kid who was redshirted this year. That's 18 fouls. Go out there and do what you got to do. Rebound, play defense, 18 fouls. And then there's Quincy Garriott, who I think has the biggest upside of anyone on this team. He got in Jim Beheim's doghouse early and sometimes played well and sometimes showed he was a freshman. But raw and talented, there's a lot there. And then there's the Jalen Carey's and the Howard Washington's, Robert Braswell's, the, the Bryson Godine. There is a lot of young talent. Now, I think a couple of these guys likely to transfer, and frankly, I think a couple of them need to. There's two incoming recruits, Kadari Richmond and Woody Newton. One's a four-star, one's a three-star. Nothing great, but typical Syracuse players. Long, athletic, can get to the rack, can play some zone defense. That's what Jim Beheim recruits. If there's one thing that needs to change, in my opinion, the five position that's long been a guy who plays the middle of the zone and does that exclusively, you want to improve? You want to catch up to the modern basketball? Make that guy a stretch five. Make him somebody who can step out, at least the free throw line, and knock down a jump shot. Stop clogging the lane with a guy with zero offensive ability. That's Barama Sidibe right now. Jesse Edwards, I think he can step out. From what I've heard about John Ajak, he can step out. That's the improvement that needs to go. So there's hope, and it's not as bad as you think it is. It's not great like the glory days. It's just not as bad as you think it is. Let's shift gears right now to a little Buffalo Bills football. And how about this guy joining the Bills? More Trubisky. Intercepted near the goal line, Josh Norman. Lions for a third-round pick. First and goal. That ball is intercepted by Josh Norman. And Norman's still on his feet. Big return from the end zone for Josh Norman, his third pick of the year. Second down and seven. And overthrown and an interception at the goal line by Josh Norman. And there's Barkley off his back foot. And another interception, Josh Norman. Josh Norman down the sideline. One-handing it. So Josh Norman's a member of the Buffalo Bills. And this is one of those Brandon Bean specials. There's a thing in the NFL, before we get into Josh Norman and his impact, there's a thing in the NFL called compensatory picks. Look, we all know about the draft. We all think we're draft experts, and we all know that you got to draft this guy and that guy. But how do you get those picks other than being really bad at football? You could get those picks by navigating your roster well. And nobody has done it in time, over recent time better than Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Shocker there, right? Patriots are kind of good at football and all the things that make you good at football. The formula is simply simply this. If you lose players to other teams, depending on how much they sign for and how well they play, you're awarded a pick to replace those players. Now, the first part of that formula is you have to lose more players than you sign. So go to the Bills last year. Bills brought in 18 free agents, many of them after the free agency period starts, which is next Monday, the legal tampering. We'll get into that. But... If you lose more than you gain, you're likely to get 
a compensatory pick. This week they were awarded, just yesterday as a matter of fact. The New England Patriots got four more picks, two in the third round. The Patriots, again, have 11 picks. They've got three-thirds, four-sixths, and two-sevenths. They don't have a fifth-round pick. I'm sure they'll find one on draft weekend. But the Bills this year have a chance to get to the compensatory formula. They're not going to go out and sign 18 free agents like they did last year. They might sign one or two, but they got a couple of guys that likely will leave. And when they leave, they're likely going to get a lot of money. Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, two members of that defensive line, are likely going to go elsewhere, likely going to get a lot of money. Now, if they both leave and the Bills only sign, say, one guy to replace them, they would be in line for a compensatory pick. Picks signed before free agency begins next week don't count against that formula. Josh Norman coming in doesn't count against that formula. So when you look at the Bills' needs this offseason, they had a need at cornerback. Levi Wallace and Kevin Johnson on the other side of Tredavious White, they were solid. They were okay. They were good young player in Levi Wallace and a solid veteran in Kevin Johnson. But they were clearly going to be the ones that you're going to target because Trey White is that good. So there was a need there. There's a need at linebacker. There's a need on defensive line again. There's a need, in my opinion, at right tackle, because Cody Ford is much better suited as a guard. I would have loved to have seen Greg Olson become the tight end that Tyler Croft and Lee Smith won't be. The money spent on Tyler Croft and Lee Smith could have paid Greg Olson to play there. But no offense to Josh Allen, I'd rather play with Russell Wilson, too, if I was Greg Olson. So the Bills bringing in Josh Norman, while he's got a reputation as being a very controversial guy, we all remember he and Odell Beckham going at it and the things that happened in that game and very outspoken, went to Washington. He's slipped. He's no longer an elite cornerback. But when he was an elite cornerback, he was with the Carolina Panthers. Who was his defensive coordinator? Sean McDermott, who worked in the organization, Brandon Bean. These guys know him well. They know his strengths. They know his weaknesses. And I think his strengths fit the system that McDermott plays. McDermott likes to play a lot of zone. Josh Norman, when he was at his best, was playing a lot of zone. Let's face it. He wasn't a strong man-to-man guy early on. And when he went to Washington, he's going to be a lockdown corner because that's what they paid him to be. It's not what you're paying a guy to do. It's what he's best at. And I think that's one area, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that Sean McDermott excels. He puts guys in a position to do what they do best. Use Lorenzo Alexander as as an example. He was a linebacker who put his hand in the ground a lot and rushed the passer because he was great at rushing the passer. Moved him around, got the most out of him. McDermott knows what he has in Josh Norman. It's not always going to be a guy who is along the ride with the process. There's going to be some bumps in the roads. But for the first time, in my opinion, since Tredavious White has been there, there's a legitimate guy on the other side. Remember, Stephon Gilmore went when Trey got here. They did not overlap. That's the unfortunate part. I'm not saying Josh Norman, Stephon Gilmore. But the Bills right now, with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, they're four that they start in the secondary is about as good as any in the league. That's a deep secondary. They now, 
don't need to go spend big money in free agency that costs against that compensatory pick formula again, and they've settled a need, a starting cornerback. And Levi Wallace, his development will continue. Kevin Johnson may come back for a veteran low-end salary. So now there's depth. Smart move by Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott bringing in Josh Norman. We're going to continue with the NFL and free agency because, again, the legal tampering period begins this week. I love that. Legal tampering. I'm waiting for the legal speeding period to happen on the thruway. Legal speeding period. You can go 90. Oh, see ya. Bye. Might as well. It's legal. We can do it. Legal tampering. What other do you what other situation do you hear legal crime being committed? Like when does that happen? I'm not saying we need legal murder period. No, let's 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 use some judgment here. But legal tampering begins this weekend, Sunday night. So that means legally you can go behind people's backs and trying to sign players. Going to happen a lot and never never in free agency do I, I ever remember a quarterback list like this for free agents. Teams freak out over the quarterback. They overdraft them constantly. They overpay them constantly. Nick Foles last year, what do you get, $88 million? Got beaten out by a six-round pick. He's still going to be in Jacksonville, but he's going to be a backup if he's still on the roster because he's going to get paid $22 million this year too. Look at the free agent names. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, three guys who I think are going to be wearing gold coats at some point. Dak Prescott, Teddy Bridgewater, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, Ryan Tannehill, Andy Dalton, and oh yeah, Taysom Hill. Now, there's a first-round tender on Taysom Hill, so he'll likely go back to the Saints. People are freaking out about this guy and what he can do, and I think he's a hell of a football player. I just don't know if he's a quarterback. You know why I don't know? Because he's thrown 15 passes. Oh, yeah, people, yeah, no, he could definitely play. Oh, really? Oh, good. Pay him. Good luck with that. That's why general managers get fired real quick. Guys like Taysom Hill. And he may be great. Sean Payton knows what he has in him. So if Sean Payton knows what he has, he's a smart guy. He'll figure it out, and he'll use Taysom Hill the way his skill set shows he can be used. But think of these other names. A guy like Tom Brady. Do you really think he's going to leave and I know we hear every day a Brady update, Tennessee, San Francisco, Dallas. And, you know, people are saying, well, you just said Dak Prescott. Yeah, I know the Cowboys are negotiating with Dak Prescott. I heard this a couple weeks ago, and it made a lot of sense. Dak Prescott, franchise tag on him. You probably could trade him for two number ones. And if you laugh at that, Jalen Ramsey last year, same situation, got two ones and a four to go from Jacksonville to the Rams. Who's going to help your team more? Jalen Ramsey, Dak Prescott. All about the quarterback, right? Why not the Cowboys sign Brady for two years, less than they'd pay Dak Prescott, and get those two ones for Dak Prescott? Doesn't that make your roster better? No, that won't happen. Jerry Jones won't go that route. He'll re-sign Dak and be proud that he's paying somebody more money than anyone else in the league, and that's Jerry. He loves that splash. It's another way of getting it. So he'll stay in Dallas like I believe Brady will stay in New England. Breeze is going to stay in New Orleans. Rivers, he's not staying in, in L.A. They're done with him. And frankly, I think he's close to done anyway. But keep an eye on Indy. That seems to be the 
preferred landing spot, if you will, for Phillip Rivers, that could be interesting. Name on this list that I'm really intrigued about is Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater was a hell of a young quarterback a couple years ago, had a devastating leg injury. If not for the great work of the athletics training staff in Minnesota, he might have lost his leg. That's how bad that injury was. Last year when Breeze got hurt, 6-0, played really well. Now, I know that's on a good New Orleans team, but Teddy Bridgewater is somebody that if I'm looking for a quarterback, I'm looking at Teddy Bridgewater. Think of the draft. Tua Tonga Viola and, and, and Joe Burrow are going in the top five. One of them had one great year. One of them gets hurt every year. Both of them have questions. Who would you rather have next year starting at quarterback? Burrow, Tua, or Teddy Bridgewater? If i got to win football games, and if I'm an NFL coach and GM, I do because I like my job and want to keep my job, give me Teddy Bridgewater. Something interesting to keep an eye on. Then there's former first and second first and second picks overall, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. Mariota's out in Tennessee. I don't think he'll come back. Jameis, I think there's a chance he comes back to Tampa, but that's bizarre. Andy Dalton is another guy. If Brady leaves, I expect Andy Dalton to be in, in New England. And you can win football games with Andy Dalton. Ryan Tannehill, a guy who a team gave up on too early, likely. Went to Tennessee. I'm not paying him a bunch of money, but I'd like to have him around. And then there's other guys. There's Derek Carr. Are the Raiders done with him? Are the Lions done with Matthew Stafford? It's very strange. Cam Newton in in Carolina. Never have we had a free agency period like this. Never has it been this interesting. So, going to be fun in the next couple weeks. I, I just can't wait for the legal tampering period. I'm looking forward to that. Up next, we're going to talk about the New York Yankees. (laughs) They've got some injuries. You might have heard this before. Here's Aaron Boone talking about the injuries. So I got, we got judge update. So he has um, stress fracture of the first right rib. Obviously a lot of tests to get. It's a tough diagnosis to to find, Um, so that's what we're dealing with. Um, Does you know? It's probably an injury that dates back to September when he. Any idea how long? No, um, because I think hopefully we'll reassess in two weeks where he's at um, as far as you know, if the bone's healing and then. So that's Aaron Boone talking about Aaron Judge, his right fielder who Yankee fans love. And you should. This is a big, strong guy who hits the ball a country mile. He's shown great ability in the outfield. He's he's truly a five-tool, a four. He can't hit for average. Four-tool player. Fun guy to watch. Great young kid. But over the last two years, Aaron Judge has missed 110 games. And he's going to miss the start of this year. This is becoming a trend with Aaron Judge, and it's a scary trend because the Yankees have a decision to make on Judge in a couple of years. Do we pay this guy? And baseball contracts now are going the route of you know ten years and thirty five million per. Do you invest in that guy, or do you move on from him? And it, a couple of years ago, when he hit fifty two home runs as a rookie, the thought of not getting that second contract with the Yankees would have th- would have been incredibly far fetched. But the reality is, 
the Yankees, I think, have much more depth in the outfield. Look, the Yankees have big injuries this year. Luis Severino, he's going to miss this year and probably part of next because he's going for Tommy John surgery. James Paxton is going to miss a couple months because of his injury. I mentioned Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, of course, is going to miss the start of the year too. Stanton is another guy who Yankee fans think is very fragile, and he is. Last year, he played only 18 games. How about this, though? The previous two years, one in Miami and one in New York, he missed seven games in those two years. The reality is, in my opinion, that Judge is a more fragile guy than Stanton. But when you've got both of them, it's concerning. But here's why I'm not going to lose sleep over this year's New York Yankees. This is why you're here to hear first. The Yankees are going to win the American League East. They're not going to win it comfortably, but they're going to comfortably make the playoffs. Look, this team still has the best bullpen in baseball. When you've got guys like Adovino and Britton setting up Chapman, that's a great bullpen. And while Yankee fans don't like Chapman because, well, he's not Mo. then again, nobody has ever been Mariano Rivera. He's the greatest reliever in the history of the game. He's very good. Their 7-8-9 is in place. They've also got guys to pitch a couple innings leading up to that. So the starters, what starters there are, need to go five innings. You give me five strong as a starter for the Yankees, I'll give you a W. That's how this year should go, with the exception of a couple guys who are still available to start. Yes, there's injuries. But think about where those injuries are. Yeah, the starting rotation is a problem, and I think Cashman makes a move before spring training ends to bring in an arm. Not a great arm, but 170-inning arm. A guy who's going to pitch to a a 4.5 ERA, but give you those five innings every night out. That's what this team needs. One more of those guys, and they'll be good. They've got depth in the outfield. Clint Frazier is a guy who just hasn't really gotten a good shot with the Yankees, in my opinion. When they made the trade to get Frazier, all we heard about was the elite bat speed. And he hasn't stuck. And I think there's a myriad of reasons why he hasn't stuck. One, his defense is as bad as his offense is good. He's just not a good defensive outfielder. But guys can work on that. Whether or not he did and whether or not he will and improve, we'll see. Miguel Andujar is a guy who isn't a good third baseman. Well, fortunately, Gio Urshela has now beat him out at that position. Andujar's taking fly balls. He's learning to play the outfield. With that doubles bat that he has, putting him in the outfield and finding a place and just leaving him there, Absolutely. Sign me up for there. Then there's the the guys like Mike Talkman and Ford, these young guys. There's always a young outfielder coming up through, and Brett Gardner's still there. The Yankees have enough depth in the outfield, I'm not concerned. But the real reason why the Yankees are going to win 100 games this year, in spite of all the injuries, is this. They now play, (laughs) this is going to hurt some people, in the worst division in baseball. The American League East sucks. It sucks. The Boston Red Sox this offseason decided they can no longer afford to pay everybody. Why? You're still selling out every night. You're still a huge television contract. Why are you working so hard to get underneath the luxury cap? Oh, I know. Because ownership is sick of paying it. They want to put more money in their pocket. 
And the fans, you just keep paying. We'll be fine in a couple of years. You move David Price and you move Mookie Betts to the Dodgers. Chris Sale's going to start the year on the shelf. Still haven't fixed the bullpen from last year. The, the Red Sox this year are probably a 500 team at best. I think the Yankees can win 14 of the 19 games against them. Similarly with the Blue Jays. Blue Jays in a couple of years, I think, are going to have three or four of the best young players in baseball. As a matter of fact, right now, they've got three or four guys that are great young players. Vlad Jr., Biggio's kid, Bichette's kid. All these guys are going to be really good, I think. But they're not there yet. So the Blue Jays are going to be like a 70-win team again. The Yankees, they should win at least 14 games against them. Same with the O's. The O's changed everything over the last couple of years in their scouting department. They're five years away from being a 500 team. If you're an O's fan hearing this, sorry. Didn't mean to throw that at you. But it's true. The O's will lose at least 14 to the Yankees. The one good team in the division, I think another playoff team, is the Tampa Rays. The, the Rays are a team that always find a way to get it done. They find young talent. They get the most out of their system. They're really a well-run organization. And they're going to be a playoff team. If the Yankees win 10 out of the 19 against the Rays, that means with those projections in division, the Yankees would go 52-24 and 24 in the AL East. That means winning 48 games the rest of the year against some really bad American and National League teams that they're going to play, that gets them to 100 wins. This Yankee team is banged up as they are, is unprepared in certain areas that they are, still way better than most of the teams will play this year. If you're a Yankee fan, just relax. Sit back, enjoy the spring, get some sun down in Florida, watch some baseball, and get ready for it because you're going to the playoffs yet again. Not saying you're winning anything, but they're a 100-win team. So if you're a Yankee fan, just breathe. Enjoy it. Once again, you're on top. The rest of us, like Met fans like me, we think we could be good. Yankee fans, you're going to be good. You have my word on it. So that's it. That's the Falcon Around Carl Falk podcast, episode one. I'm on Twitter, Carl Falk 2. Hit me up. If you want me to talk about something, you want to discuss something, hit me up on that. I'll be doing this every so often. Look on social media, follow it, share it. Send it out, comment on it, whatever you could do. We would like to interact with you. We're going to get to the point where we're going to take phone calls. We're going to take guests. We're going to have a lot more. So episode one in the books. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.